If you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to be looking at the whole chapter, verses 1 through 24. And his kindness, Woody has read for us a big chunk of the passage. And so before I preach here, we'll only be looking at verses 16 through 24 is what we'll be reading. Uh, but we'll be looking at the whole passage this morning. As you're opening up there to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, verses uh, 1 through 24. If you don't have a Bible, you can open up to page 1331 in the Pew Bible. As you're opening up there, I just want to say uh, how grateful we are that David and Cindy Kimberly made a special trip here today. In case you didn't know, uh, David is our annual uh, auctioneer. He's kind of the MC for the auction. And in their kindness, they came in from Tuscaloosa, where they live now, and, and uh, we had to beg David to come reprise this role. But he reluctantly agreed. Uh, come do this and so such a such a joy to have you guys here this morning and so second corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 through 24 we'll be reading verses 16 through 24 if you don't mind uh you don't have to do this i like to remind you we don't have to do this the bible doesn't say we have to do this but it's a good reminder to me that what god has to say is more important than what i have to say so would you mind standing with me out of reverence for the reading and the words of our god Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse 16. But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother, who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, would you open our hearts and minds, Father, to receive your word. And God, we pray we would be changed by your word today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It was, in fact, it still is, the largest. Disney gift store in the world. And while we had set, now they're still working on all the calculations, but I'm waiting to hear back from Guinness, but I believe we had set the world record for the most Disney gift shops ever visited in a five-day period, the Walt Disney World Resort. Yet we could not miss the greatest and grandest of all Disney gift stores. And so there we went on the day we were set to leave. And so that morning we had to we, we went there and got to go there and experience that and tie up some loose ends on some souvenirs. 
And so we got on the road back home a little later than I anticipated. And then along the way, we had to stop for gas. Then we had to have a bathroom tra- break. And so I am your typical dad at this point and starting to just get just a hair frustrated. It's time to get home. i got to drive this van back from Orlando. Dad had let us borrow a van, and uh, it was a big 15-passenger van, so I'm wrestling this thing up the Florida Turnpike, trying to get home. It's time to get home. But then we were enticed. Look over, and what do we see but the Florida Citrus Center. Not just any store, a Citrus Center. Oranges, orange juice, jams and jellies and butters and spreads, the sign said. In fact, there were baby alligators there just waiting on us to come see them. And yet, despite our need for citrus, we pressed on. Kept going. We skipped the citrus center. And about that time, somebody else needed a bathroom break. And God, in His providence, demonstrated to us, displayed to us, there's almost a, a light shining from heaven on it. Turns out there's not only one Florida citrus center. There is another. And so in we went, and everyone goes their own way to do what they need to do. And uh, I begin meandering through, make my way back to the restroom and come out, and I, I see a section of glass doodads, a glass menagerie, if you will. And there it says on the sign, you break, you buy. And once you see that, you know they mean business. Ford comes up about this time and says, Dad, I need you to help me win a Nintendo Switch. It's a little video game that he's been longing for. There's a little game in the corner called the Keymaster. And uh, I said, Ford, I don't have any dollar bills left, son. I, I can't play the game. I went outside, and Whitney uh, told me, it turns out, that you can swipe a card on the Keymaster game. And I don't like to confess sin in the pulpit very often, but there's a reason why I don't gamble. I uh, am a bit compulsive when it comes to games like this. And so I said, okay, fine, we'll go try. And sweet Vanessa was still checking oranges out. And so we had a few minutes. And so I went and uh, standing here at this game, the Keymaster. And so I swipe my card and I try to win the Nintendo Switch. We don't win it. And I say, well, now I know how it works. I better try again. And so I swipe my card again. There's a dollar. All right, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying again. Okay, I'm really starting to figure out how it works. And I realize to get the key to be the Keymaster. To get the key in the slot to win this Nintendo Switch and to become the Florida Citrus Center Ocala Key Master, I've got to get this thing right in this certain slot, but I couldn't see it. I was too tall. So I began to lean down, sort of back in to try to play this game. And what you've got to understand, we've been at Disney World for five days, and all you want to do the whole time you're at Disney World, all you're doing, you have one desire, a singular desire, and that's to find something to lean on. Every line, every place you go, you're trying to find something to lean on. And so as I am getting down to try to become the key master of the Florida Citrus Center, little did I notice, because it was such a pleasant thing when you could find something to lean on, little did I know I was leaning on something. Turns out I was leaning on something pretty hard. But I was so focused on winning this game that I couldn't tell. And about that time it began. 
Turns out I was leaning on a glass shelf filled with jams and jellies and butters and spreads. And praise be to God, there were no baby alligators on the shelf. And not only, it, it is not that I simply knocked the shelf off, it is that I broke the shelf in two. The glass shattered. Marmalade is going everywhere. I still don't realize what's happened. The glass broke. It cut a hole in my jeans. It's a miracle. It, it's a miracle that I didn't bleed out in the Florida Citrus Center. I look down, surrounded by broken jars of marmalade, glass. This poor lady that works at the Citrus Center comes around the corner, just hangs her head in shame recognizes it's a total loss. I look down at this carnage and I realize I broke and I'm about to buy. <laughs> I said, how much have we done here? Well, $100 cover it. She said, it looks like about 10 jars. That's $80. And I handed her a $100 bill and said, keep the change. <laughs> and left. $105 later, we eat have no Nintendo Switch, and in fact, I don't even have a jar of marmalade to sell at the auction today. <laughs> you know, the moral of the story, sometimes we waste money, sometimes we're not happy to give, and sometimes we give just because we have to. Many of us have had experiences like this and recognize how hard it is. Man, I felt so proud of myself. This is what the Lord does to prideful people. I said, I've still got $100 left. I've been at Disney for five days. I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> we turn our attention this morning to Paul's appeal to the Corinthian church to give to the collection for impoverished believers in Jerusalem. He, he, he mentions that in the past, uh, at least a year ago, they had been committed to doing this and had a desire to give to this collection that Paul mentions throughout his letters. We read about it in Acts. And so after dealing with their strained relationship, Paul turns to remind them of the desire they had in the past to give to this relief offering for the saints in Jerusalem. So he's reminding them of their willingness and their desire and the need for them to give. So this morning what I want us to do is to learn alongside the Corinthian church that grace, grace, what God has done for us out of grace is what drives biblical Christian generosity. Our giving is compelled by God's grace. And so I, I want to show you three things this morning that I believe will help lead you to grace-driven generosity. Here's the first. Give because it is a privilege. Give because it is a privilege. Paul's writing to the Corinthians and reminding them that giving to this cause is a privilege. It's something they get to do. I, I, I've been thinking about this some, and I, I think about the way we normally sort of 
naturally think about generosity. Typically, the way we think about generosity is that things are going pretty good. So you've got some peace in your life. And you feel an obligation to give. You feel like you ought to do it. And then you look around and you recognize, I've got more than I know what to do with. And so, so I, I, I've got some abundance. And so we say peace plus obligation plus abundance equals generosity. Peace, obligation, and abundance are the situation in which we will tend to be generous. And yet Paul begins to talk to the Corinthians about the church in Macedonia and about their equation of generosity and it's totally different than the way we naturally think about giving what does he say no, no, notice what he says verses one through seven he says we want you to know brothers about the grace of god that has been given among the churches of macedonia for in a severe test of affliction their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. In other words, we normally think about giving like this. Peace plus obligation plus abundance equals generosity. But for the Macedonian believers, it was a totally different equation. Paul says they had affliction plus joy plus poverty. And that resulted in an overflow of generosity. Now think about that for a moment. Think about how countercultural that is for us. That when things are going poorly, we tend to be less generous and not more. And we tend to only give when we feel like we have to. But the Macedonian believers said they're giving out of joy. And, and we tend to only give when there's enough to give. And yet they're giving out of poverty. And, and how does Paul describe it? He says it results in an overflow of generosity. How could this happen? You see, they saw generosity as a privilege. In the subsequent verses, you can read that they, they gave of their own accord. And, and the Bible says they begged earnestly to take part in the relief of the saints. You see, these Macedonian Christians had very little. They, they, they weren't rich. They didn't have enough. But don't you think there's a sense in which when you have very little, you know that it was God who provided it? When you don't have enough, and you look around and there's anything, but when you don't have much and you look around and you've got anything, you know that God gave us this. And if God can give us this, He can give us more. And so we ought to be generous. It, it, it produced in the Macedonians an overflowing of generosity in their hearts and in their lives. Brothers and sisters, we must see giving unto the Lord for what it is, and that is it is it is a privilege to give to the Lord. You know, in our responsive reading, we talked about all that God owns. He, he, he's got what He needs. He's got resources. He's doing just fine. But He chooses to include us through our generosity in furthering His gospel. I, I want you to think about it like this. That, 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 that when we are going to find joy in our generosity... I, we have to go from thinking, I must give, or I guess I have to give, to, wow, I get to give. I get to be a part of this. 
Our hearts have to be transferred and transformed. And, and listen, I've, I've very rarely encountered this attitude in the Lord's church, but, but I hear people talk about it all the time, and maybe this seed's there for some of you. Sin's a scary thing. But, but I've, I've encountered and heard of Christians who are so carnal that they think that they give to get their way in the Lord's church. That they give to buy their preferences in the Lord's church. I'll tell you what, if that's your heart, keep your money. Jesus doesn't need it. Jesus doesn't need it. If that's your tendency, check your heart. We don't give to get our way. We give because we get to. It is a privilege to give unto the Lord. And so when we begin to see giving as an opportunity, instead of holding tightly to God's blessings, we instead begin to learn the lesson of our Lord that it's better to give than to receive. Isn't it a privilege? Isn't it amazing how God can take something temporal? Something's going to fade away. Money. It's not going to last forever. There won't always be money. God can take it. You can't take it to the grave with you, right? You've heard it, you believe it, you know it. God can take that money and He can transform it into something that lasts forever. We can fund missionaries, we can fund missions, we can fund the gospel mission of the church. God can take, some of y'all are raised up on the King James. Think about money, you think about filthy lucre. God can take filthy lucre, right? God can take money that's the root of all sorts of evil. And God can transform it into things that last forever. And He does it when we see the privilege of generosity. Grace-driven generosity sees giving as a privilege. But second of all, not only do we give because it's a privilege. Second of all, we give because God gives. We have generous hearts because God has a generous heart. God's grace in Christ is an engine for our biblical, grace-driven generosity. Paul's strategy is fascinating here. It's a really interesting strategy. You would imagine he would say, a year ago you committed to this, and I'm coming to collect on the commitment. And I'm an apostle, and listen, I'm, I'm going to come, and I'm going to take care of it. And, and he sort of drives that, hey, you committed to this, you need to finish it before, but that's not what he leads with. What does he lead with? What does he say in verse 8? I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. That is, he's saying, I'm not, I'm not saying this as the authority, in the authority of being an apostle right now. He, he doesn't mean that that this is not something the Lord would have them do. What he's saying is, I could command you to do this. I have apostolic authority over the churches. But instead, Paul says, I say this not as a command. And so what does Paul point them to? Not to the law, not to another command, but instead he points them to the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. Goodness, I want you to feel the weight of this verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, can you imagine the riches of heaven? Can you imagine what heaven was like for the Lord Jesus Christ? What it means to be the prince of all creation, to be there in heaven. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became 
poor. I, I think this is comparative. I, I don't think the evidence of the Gospels is that Jesus lived in abject poverty. He certainly wasn't rich. He was born into something like a middle-class family, a working family. I think people helped support his ministry. We see evidence of that throughout the Gospels. He did say he had no place to, to lay his head, but I think what he means by that is I don't have a palace. I'm an itinerant preacher. But yet comparatively, compared to the riches he had access to, compared to the riches he had in heaven, he did certainly become poor. Why? So that you by his poverty might become rich. This is what compels us to give to the Lord. That there's no amount of guilt, there's no amount of rules that we can pile up in the Lord's church. They're going to compel you to give more than the grace of God displayed to you in Jesus Christ. And it's the kind of giving that honors the Lord. This is what compels us to give, and, and this is what compels Christians to have generous spirits. You ever thought about how weird it is that churches don't have membership dues? I have. Everything you're a member of has got some sort of a due. Some of y'all probably still owe the publisher's clearinghouse money, you know what I mean? And uh, everything's got membership dues. There's no set fee to be a member of the Lord's church. You see, we, we tend to think if you really want something done, if you, if you really want to get after something, you better make some rules. You, you better make a rule about it. You better compel folks. You better obligate folks. You better use authority, and you, you better use your, your position to kind of make folks do what you want done. And yet, the way that we unleash genuine Christ-centered generosity is grace. Grace is what drives our giving. We give because God has given to us so generously out of His grace. This is the heartbeat of Christian generosity that God has lavished His gracious blessings on us in Christ. Christ saved us through His own impoverishment. And so we ought to have generous hearts as a result of the lavish grace that's been poured on us in Christ. We give because it's a privilege. We give because God gives. And finally, we give to a worthy cause. We, we give to a worthy cause. You see, I, I think sometimes these first two points, oftentimes preachers and pastors will, will use the, the well-meaning intentions and the love and good hearts and generous hearts of Christians, they'll take advantage of them. You know, we've all had family members, loved ones, folks, who, have said, who, who we've recognized have been sort of taken advantage of by, by Christians, people claiming to be Christians. It's like Cousin Eddie said, I wish we had that money we gave that TV preacher back. It's just out there, it's in the water, that folks get disenfranchised by people they take, get taken advantage of. But I want it to be really clear that God is not telling us to just blindly give our resources away. God is not telling us just to, just to give anything you hear of that seem, uh, yeah, seems legit. Let's do it. I mean, that is not what I think the thrust of the Bible is. 
fact, Paul goes to great lengths to demonstrate here to the Corinthians that they're giving to a worthy cause. He, he describes in verses 16 through 24 that we read earlier, he describes the measures that they're taking to ensure that, that they're receiving of this offering in, in, in miles stretches apart where they're taking up this offering. They're, they're showing that, that, that they are doing this offering above board. Titus is going to Corinth. He, he's taking with him a brother who is famous for the preaching of the gospel. Isn't it interesting that we don't see his name? So that's how God values fame in his economy. Someone was famous for preaching the gospel, and we don't know who it was. That's a good thing for him and for us. This other man is, is known in all the churches, and he's traveling along with Paul and his companions to aid in receiving the collection. There's another man who's, who's well thought of in all the churches. He's going alongside this famous brother and alongside Titus. And they're going with Paul in a party to receive the collection because they want to make sure that more than one set of eyes is on this collection to make sure it goes to where they say it's going to go. They, they go to these lengths to ensure this is being handled appropriately, even though an apostle is involved. Why? Because we ought to give to a worthy call. But Paul says in this section that they took this course because they wanted nobody to be able to blame them at all concerning this gift. They were aiming, Paul says, for what is honorable in the, in the sight of God, but also, he says, what is honorable in the sight of man. Here's what I want you all to feel freedom in today. Give only to worthy causes. Give only to worthy causes. Here, here's, we, we seek to be a worthy cause at First Baptist Church. And I can't speak for all other ministries. I can speak to some Southern Baptist ministries that I'm involved with, but I can speak most clearly to First Baptist Church. And I can tell you how we try to be a worthy cause. Maybe this will be a rubric where you can evaluate other avenues of giving. We try to be a gospel cause, something that furthers the gospel. We, we want to carry out the mission that God's given us as a church. We want you to feel freedom in giving to that. We, we want to be an accountable cause. We want accountability in the way finances are handled in the church. If Paul needed accountability in the way finances are handled in the church, I can promise you Matt Alexander needs accountability in the way finances are handled in the church. I can promise you Woody Turner needs accountability. Nathan Edwards needs accountability. Our whole church staff needs accountability. Our we need accountability. That's why we have a finance committee and a budget and a constitution and all these things that some folks want to roll their eyes at out in the world, you know, it seems like we're kind of going overboard on some things. But we want to make sure that we are being held accountable. And we, third of all, want to be an important cause. Something that matters. We want to put resources at the forefront, at the tip of the spear of our mission and need. And when we choose as a church to support other missionaries and other, uh, other, other needs and other causes, we want to make sure that it's an important cause. There's so many good things. And yet we want to make sure that we're getting resources to the forefront of mission and need. Don't feel bad about making sure that you're giving to a worthy cause. You know, there's a lot of ways to give. A lot of ways to think about giving. And sometimes we waste money. And sometimes we're not happy to give. And sometimes we just give because we have to. But grace transforms our hearts as Christians. And the way we give and the way we think about money, we don't waste money. We give to a worthy cause. We don't give unhappily or without joy. We give out of grace because God has given to us. We don't give just because we have to. 
We give because it's a privilege to give to the Lord. As Christians, what we practice is grace-driven generosity. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've, if you've never put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ, I, I want you to know that He has lavished His grace on His people. And at this very moment, if you were to turn from your sins in repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus Christ, I believe He will save you from your sins. And so if you want to receive that grace for the first time, I'd love to talk with you and pray with you about what it might mean for you to become a Christian today. Second of all, you may be a believer. You may say, Pastor, I've just, I just need some time at the altar. This altar is open for you. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I would love, I would love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we come before you thankful for your grace. And God, our prayer as we enter into a time of giving this morning, as the service progresses and later as we have an auction, God, we pray that we won't feel obligated, that we won't feel sad, that we won't feel upset, but God, that we would see your grace as what's driving our generosity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.